This is the Mindful Musical Life Podcast. I'm Kevin Miske. Before we jump into this week's interview, I wanted to share a bit of exciting news. I have developed a four-week introduction to mindfulness for musicians. Through four 30-minute private meetings with me and structured private practice on your own, you will gain an understanding of the main elements of mindfulness, learn some mindfulness practices, and develop exercises to incorporate mindfulness into your music making. If you are interested in a free 30-minute consultation to discuss this course and see if it's right for you, please reach out to me via Instagram at mindfulmusicallife or via email at mindfulmusicallife at gmail.com. Before we get started on today's interview, just a quick note that we had some technological issues with this recording session and we had to use a quick backup program so the audio isn't as clear as it normally is this week. I apologize and we will be back to top form in no time. My guest this week is cellist Gloria Lum. Gloria has been a member of the Los Angeles Philharmonic since 1985, and in her 30-plus years with the orchestra has performed all over the world and for many of the world's best conductors. A frequent participant in the LA Phil's chamber music series, she has appeared with Andre Previn, Emmanuel Axe, Lars Vogt, and Joshua Bell. Gloria currently teaches cello and chamber music at Occidental College. In addition to her impressive performance career and reputation, Gloria is the founder of Audition Confidential, a program that helps cellists train more efficiently for auditions through techniques and strategies, both musical and mental. In this interview, we discuss the inspiration for Gloria's program, what she has seen in her many years serving on audition committees for the LA Phil, and how she helps students strengthen their mental approach to performance. Gloria is a kind, passionate educator and mentor and offers a lot of valuable advice for musicians at all stages of performance preparation. So without further ado, here's Gloria. Hello, Gloria. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Um, I know there's going to be a lot of great stuff that we're going to cover today, but why don't we just start with a little introduction from you. You can tell us a little bit about your background, um, how you got interested in kind of the mental side of, of performance preparation, and we'll go from there. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Kevin, for inviting me to be on your podcast. Um, I am a cellist in the Los Angeles Philharmonic, where I have been for many, many years. I think I stopped counting after 30. So, <laughs> uh, And um, during my time there, one of the things that happens in orchestras is that you can be part of a committee. And the committee that always really appealed to me was the auditions, what we call the auditions and renewals committee, which is in charge, of course, of being part of the audition process and helping to choose you know, musicians who will be part of our orchestra. And I have probably spent over half my time in the orchestra on the committee in many guises as a member of the committee, as a member of the panel, uh, as chair, all sorts of different uh, angles that I've come at seeing auditions. And of course, in my own preparation, I've had to take many auditions myself, you know, as I came out from being at USC, then my first job was in the Oakland Symphony. My next one was in the Denver Symphony. And then I landed in uh, the Los Angeles Philharmonic many years ago. So I think that one thing that I realized is that playing in an audition is very different in some ways in terms of preparation than it is uh, playing recital or playing concerto or things like that, uh, playing in chamber music. And it takes a very different set of mental skills to really be able to 
successfully audition because as you know, many of musicians realize that when we're doing an audition, you basically have five minutes to come out, show your stuff, and then you're done. You don't have a chance to talk to anybody. You don't have any time to sort of get warmed up. It is like, go, it's go time. There are no do-overs. So I think the pressures and the stresses of playing audition are extraordinary. When we're playing a recital or we have a longer period of time, you have time to kind of get comfortable on stage, kind of feel out the hall, kind of get into the mindset with like maybe the uh, orchestra playing the opening 2D or your pianist playing or, you know, having other people on stage with you to maybe play a great chamber uh, piece. But when we're playing an audition, it is just you. It's very lonely. A chair, a stand, your music, you, and a curtain or a screen that you're playing to. So I'd say that the mental aspects of actually playing the audition and in preparation are very different. But I think it's fascinating. Absolutely. I definitely wouldn't argue with that. So what what made you... so? after seeing all these different auditions and, and experiencing, you know, your own set of auditions in your own career. So then what made you really want to look into these, the mental side of the preparation that's required for something like that? You know, what, what got you really interested in that? Well, I think one thing that um, most musicians realize is that you can prepare and be technically prepared so well. Uh, but then you come to that moment and it's like, Oh my God, did I not practice enough? Or, <laughs> Oh, I, I, I really wish they didn't ask that particular exit. I mean, there are all sorts of things that can crop up. And honestly, because you really have five minutes to just kind of play and deliver, you know, we don't have time to kind of work that out. So I think that it's critical that you be able to go into an audition, sit down and feel like, yeah, this is it. I am ready to go. We're going to rock this audition and uh, here it is. Um, and more often than not, that's a difficult thing to do because it's a scary situation. There's a lot at stake. You know, you're worried that any little slip is going to like get you kicked off and, and not make it to the next round. So I think that when I work with people on audition preparation, you know, I want to assure them of there, there are some basic things that I think you need to know about what happens in an audition. What happens? What is the committee thinking? And too often people go into auditions not necessarily knowing what to expect, you know, what the committee is thinking, all the other things that happen that can happen. Um, and I think part of my, my goal is to demystify the uh, audition process and also give people an idea of what is really at stake and what happens to you when you are at that moment right before you're about to play an audition and how we can bring all those different aspects of playing your mental preparation, your artistic vision all together so that those very important five minutes really are showing yourself off to your best. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's so important. And I, I agree with you completely that I, you know, in my own auditioning experiences, the first few auditions I ever took, you know, it was kind of like, oh, I didn't expect it to be like this, or I didn't think I would be, you know, this mentally, you know, un unstable when I walked on stage, you know, things like that. <laughs> so it's it's good to, to have those experiences to share with other people and like, like you're doing. Um, so we talked a little bit kind of in preparation for our discussion today about the importance of, of working on the mental side of preparation for auditions, not just for the moments on stage, but really focusing on that in the practice room as well. Um, why don't we talk a little bit about 
kind of the importance of working on your mental approach as right next to your technique approach and your musical approach and your you know artistic vision and everything else kind of in line with that while you're in the practice room too. Absolutely. That is such a critical piece of the puzzle when it comes to any sort of really, any sort of per performance preparation. And I think that what I really kind of try and focus on is the idea that you know, as we are going through playing, actual playing, you know, what we think is also imprinting itself at the same time. So let's say, uh, I can give an example, like the opening of Don Juan is very scary for me. Uh, I think it is for a lot of people. And I want to be able to come in there and be like, okay, this is going to be good. So what I do is I, I'm thinking about how I'm going to take it apart in terms of what I'm going to, what the, the different, you know, like notes I'm going to kind of aim for. Um, and I want to not be so scared that I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to really screw this up because it's, it's a hard little lick to really get clean. Um, so when I'm preparing for this, you know, I have a different techniques of how to work out difficult technical things. And as I play them, I try and keep a running commentary in my brain, which is maybe it's not great, but I'm thinking, oh, okay, I need to do a little bit more of this, or maybe that, that little spot was out of tune, but I say this in a very objective way. You know, I wanna to talk to myself like I would talk to a student. So I think so often when we're practicing, you know, we feel like we need to be super critical. And if you blow something, you think, oh my God, that was so bad. You, you are terrible. Why are you even bothering? <laughs> no, let me go down this rabbit hole of negativity. So along with actual good practicing practice habits, I try and keep a really positive, uh, positive self-talk where I'll say like, okay, well, I think that can be improved. Maybe if I try this, you know, and so it goes along with analyzing technically what I'm doing, you know, and the little person who sits on my shoulder is like a really great teacher who says, you know, that was good, but you know what, what if we did this, you know, maybe it can be a little bit cleaner and I'll think, oh yeah, uh, okay, let me try that. So it becomes more of a transactional kind of interaction rather than like your worst critic trying to tell you that was terrible. You can't do that, you know? So my idea is as we are practicing and I'm thinking these positive things, I'm actually kind of imprinting that upon my brain and in that particular spot, whatever it is I'm working on, whether it's like Brahms, opening a Brahms second for the cello section, it's like, wow, this is so beautiful. This is how I feel. You know, all those things go together, I feel like, uh, with the actual physical act of practicing and of playing. So the more I can do that and really kind of concentrate on the positive, whether I need positive self-talk to help me get through it, or whether I want to be thinking about a particular um, emotion or picture, uh, picture that I'm trying to paint, those are the things that when I start playing any particular excerpt, I want to have those just lined up and ready to go because I have practiced all of them. So not only do I practice the notes, I practice the mental aspect. I make sure that I'm always positive and I have an idea of the artistic vision that I want to share. Yeah, that's so great. The, uh, I, I think all too often as you know, musicians, whatever level we, we tend to try to first, we're just going to nail the technique and we don't give any thought at all to the the emotional and mental side of that practice preparation right so we might work on a lick 
and for the first you know week of preparation on this new piece every time we play it we're in this like frantic stressed out mode like oh i'm never gonna get it oh i'm making so many mistakes oh right and then you start to get it and then maybe you get a few repetitions of it at the very end that that feel good and maybe at that point you feel okay that sounded pretty good but then just like when you make a mistake over and over and over again in a run or something if you make it enough times, you're gonna your brain's gonna kind of remember it. It's the same thing with the mental and emotional side of things as well. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's so so important that you that you mention that. I also love the comment about um, being you're a great teacher to yourself. Hmm. Right. So, like, what are some of the so the, the types of comments that that maybe you've noticed your students making to themselves or that you've caught yourself making. I'm sure I could come up with a list for myself as well, right? Mm -hmm. That are good examples of like the, the other side of that coin, right? So things that we're trying to replace with positive, you know, good coaching type um, self-talk rather than negativity. Absolutely. Well, a big one for all musicians is intonation. And um, I always use a recording device because mm. often we can hear things uh, when it's being played back to us that we're not always sure that we are aware of when we're playing it ourselves. So using a recording device is probably the most important thing for any musician for self-improvement and for analysis. So it's actually kind of nice that you can get by, past the idea that, oh my God, that's me playing, you know, which is always <laughs> sort of horrifying. But if you can just say, okay, if I were listening to a student or a colleague or something, what would I say? And I'd say, you know, that sounded pretty good. However, in this particular passage here, you tended to rush a little bit, you know, but you don't reckon it actually sounds really good. So uh, what I'm trying to do when I listen back to myself or when anyone is listening back to themselves, give yourself sort of props for even doing it because <laughs> it's hard and just appreciate where you are just to begin with. We can always get better. And every, every professional great soloist says the same thing to themselves this was great. How can I make it better? What do I want to say? You know, so I think that sometimes people feel like you get to a certain level and you don't have to do that anymore. And let me tell you, it never stops. So you get, have to get used to this idea of kind of, it's not criticizing so much, but it's like self-analysis. And you can do this in a very gentle, you know, objective sort of way that doesn't like start handing down your, your sense of self-esteem, which is really important. Um, yeah, absolutely. The yeah, the, the importance of, of that last little bit there of like trying to catch yourself before you continually pound down your self-esteem, I think is so important. Um, do you have any suggestions for little ways that we can work on resetting? You know, if we're noticing we're kind of in a, a cycle of self-judgment and, and negativity, what are some of the ways that maybe you yourself break break out of that or you suggest your students or your um, um, or anyone you're working with to kind of break that judgmental cycle? Well, first of all, I think we have to dispense with the fact that if we are incredibly critical of ourselves, that that makes us better players because it really doesn't. Mm. You know, it just makes us feel bad, you know. Um, so I would say I think everybody has like they're kind of like affirmations or little sayings that you can say to yourself. I was actually just talking to a really young student and she was worried about performance anxiety. And so I said to her, I said, well, what what do you do that's so fun? She goes, well playing my instrument is fun. I thought, great. I said, and does it sound good? She goes, yeah, it sounds good. I said, so this is what I want you to do. Every time you pick up your instrument, I want you to say to yourself, this is fun. And this sounds pretty good. And I said to her, I said, do you think you can do that? She goes, 
well, I don't know. But I think this <laughs> idea of like imprinting certain kinds of sayings, you know, they are affirmations. They're kind of a little bit of an attitude reset. So instead of like reaching for your instrument thinking, oh God, here we are again. I have five hours in front of me. How am I going to do this? You know, we break things up and we go sort of moment by moment. So um, I think I'll have to tell you this one story. I had to play the uh, Brahms clarinet uh, trio which, with some great, great players. And it was at the beginning of January and the day of the concert, the clarinet player was tested positive for COVID. Oh no. He was like, he's out. So this is the day of the concert. And we'd already been rehearsing like two long rehearsals. And then that whole chamber concert, everybody was falling over with COVID. So uh, luckily another uh, clarinet player who was playing on that stepped in for him. So we had like one, maybe 90 minute rehearsal on a 40 minute piece. It's like, okay, well, here we go. And I remember walking out there and thinking, okay, well, you know, I can be terrified that, you know, this is going to be hard or I'm just going to think whatever. And I walked out there and I thought, I'm going to play this with joy and excitement and we're just going to have a great time. You know, so I chose to take that moment and think there's a positive thing here. You know, we could crash and burn. Of course we were going to crash and burn, but you know, I think that way just sort of really when we walked out and I just could feel it in my body. So I'm going to play with joy and ease and comfort. This is going to be so much fun. Really just set me up. And it was a great, it was great. You know, and it was like afterwards, uh, the clarinetist said, well, that was really fun. It would have been great to rehearse it more with you, but it was what it was. So, <laughs> you know, that's the other thing is we have to be flexible. Uh, and when I say being flexible, certainly in an audition, you need to be able to do things differently if you have to. So that's another thing that I think I really encourage people I work with is this idea of you're playing an excerpt, you've kind of got it set in your mind and this is how you want to do it. And then you play, you think that was good. And then this voice from beyond the curtain says, uh, could you play that faster? You know, what are you going to do? Well, then you have to be able to go, yeah, absolutely. I can. Hopefully you will have been so prepared that you can do those things. And that idea of being flexible, you know, you can freeze in that moment and think, uh, no, I can't, I actually can't do it. Or you can say, yes, I can, because you have prepared. So I think from that point of view, this ability to kind of be mentally flexible and prepared for anything that's gonna come is also a really important aspect of any sort of performance, like whether you end up going on stage with someone you hadn't rehearsed with, or whether somebody on the committee or the music director will say, can you do this a different way? That's the kind of like mental flexibility and preparedness that we have to really have kind of in hand and ready to go when we're under that kind of pressurized situation. Yeah. Um, the, the idea of flexibility, I think, is is really important, too. And I also, I just wanted to say it was really it's really wonderful to talk to you know, a, a really accomplished cellist like yourself who's been a tenured member of this fantastic orchestra for so many years and you still have to remind yourself to come out with a positive attitude and remind yourself that the concert's going to go great and like I'm, I'm going to do fine and everything. <laughs> so I think it's so important for everyone to remember that whether you're, you know, um, you know, at, at the top of your game, at the highest levels of, of musical performance or if you're just starting out, like we all deal with those kinds of thoughts, those kinds of, you know, self-doubt and you know worry and a little bit of you know performance anxiety at whatever level that might be you know so i think it's just really good reminders that that that's for everybody um oh, absolutely and i love the, the thing, oh sorry go ahead 
Oh, the other thing I was saying is, you know, one of the things that we all deal with is nerves. You know, how do you deal with nerves? And one thing I, I like to tell my clients is, you know, when you're feeling nervous, you know, you're, you have butterflies in your stomach, you feel a real heightened awareness. Maybe your, your heart rate's a little bit faster. And I say, what, what's, what, what other emotion makes you feel like that? And it's excitement, you know? And if I can say, I can say, I'm so nervous, or I can say, I'm really excited, you know? And honestly, just that flip can make you reinterpret what's happening in your body and, and use it and say, yeah, I'm ready to go. This feels good. I'm excited to go on this ride or whatever it is. So these kinds of mental um, sort of reframings, I think are really, really important to deal with, you know, the physical, the stresses, you know, the mental stresses that happen in a performance situation. Yeah. And what you were saying too, in the, in the world of preparation is when you're listening back to recordings and instead of being, you know, disappointed or, or being you know upset with yourself for a mistake that you made or for something that maybe rushed or dragged or was a little out of tune, just flipping that to being excited because like, there's a moment that you can make it even better. Right. Like you're playing it really, really well, except for this one little spot. So now I can make it even that much better by fixing that one little thing that I noticed. Right. So, again, the reframing and the and starting from a, a place of awareness, like you have to be able to be aware that those kind of thoughts are happening in order to be able to address them in the first place. So it's all so much, so much good stuff. Um, yeah, the um, the emphasis on um, an attitude reset when you walk on to stage, I think is, is a really good thing. And, um, so for, for some of us, I know that's kind of a hard thing to do. Um, what are some of the ways that you kind of suggest people work on that? Um, you talked about kind of just that just changing your mind about how you're viewing a certain emotion, you know, versus instead of anxiety, it's excitement, right? So things right. like that are really good. Um, do you have any other techniques that you suggest to help us kind of reset and get into a more positive mindset when we're going to go perform? Well, I think that there are a lot of different ways I think about auditions. And for younger professionals who are and students who are going to go out into the profession, you know, auditions are just a way of life. That is you're going to do a lot of auditions, whether they're for orchestras, whether it's to get a teaching job, whether it's, you know, all sorts of things. That is part of what we do. And it's also like performance. Uh, but the one thing specific about an audition is we're trying to get a job, you know, and a job can change our entire life. But what happens is if we're so concentrated on getting that job, the stresses and the pressure on you just balloon because it's suddenly like your entire life depends on whether or not you make that shift. <laughs> That's a lot of pressure on one little shift. Or, you know, so one thing that I think it's important to know is as we go from audition to audition, what we're trying to do, they're just like little stepping stones along the way of becoming a much better musician, a more informed and mature artist. Because every time you prepare for an audition, you're putting six to eight weeks of your life into this idea of honing your craft, you know, having a better vision, you know, being able to communicate. And I think if we can look at auditions as a way of, you know, at the end of this six weeks, I'm going to be a better player than I am right now. At the end of this year, if I've gone through three auditions, I'll be a much better player. So we want to have kind of a longer view of our career, really. I mean, I, I did my last audition maybe six or seven years ago. I don't know. So, I mean, that was kind of silly, but I thought this is a great opportunity for me to say, 
let me see if I can put it out there again, you know? And honestly, that was the best audition I ever played. I didn't win the job. But the other thing is, that's important to realize is, you have no control over who gets the job, period. None whatsoever. All you as a candidate have control over is to play your very best. And that should be your goal. If you go out there and you think, I'm just gonna play my very best and think about what are the things you wanna say? What are the things you want the committee to feel? You know, can I deliver? Can I put it out there as best as I can as, to really show that I've prepared and to show myself as an artist, as a musician, you know, that should be your goal. And if you can walk off stage and say, yep, yeah, that's it. I left it out on the stage. It's all on the floor there. You know, I can't do anything any better. Then you walk up that stage, you think, I have won. I have won. I have done what I'm supposed to do. I have achieved my goal. Because after you leave the stage, you have no idea who the other contestants are, how they play. You don't have any control over what the audition committee is thinking or saying or anything. That's not, and that's not something you can think about or guess about or influence in any other way than just playing your very best. So I think that that's a very difficult um, perspective sometimes for people because they put so much pressure on themselves to get the job and you have no say over whether you get the job. So I think the more we can sort of concentrate on our performance. And, and so here, you know, I have listened literally to hundreds and hundreds of auditions because <laughs> I was on the committee for such a long time. But, you know, some of them are just really standout auditions. And I'll tell you, the people who, you know, make the committee sit up and listen are people who have a point of view, but not just a point of view, but they are able to really open up their sort of artistic soul and invite you in. Like, this is my world. And, you know, we go like, oh, oh, yeah, that's fantastic. Keep playing, you know. And so your job in an audition, just like it is in a performance, is to draw people into your world, to create a world, even though they're just like 30 second excerpts, you can create a world where you bring people into it. You know, and that sense of like openness and generosity will get you much farther down the road than feeling like I have to get this job. So again, it's a matter of how do we come at that moment? How do we come to the whole audition? You know, what sort of, um, yeah, you know, how we prepare ourselves. So it's not just learning the notes, learning the right dynamics, you know, nailing that stuff. If we can put that stuff in a much larger context, it really serves us so much better throughout our career. Yeah, that's so important. I um I, I was writing some notes on as you were as you were talking about those the things that make the the committee really kind of stand up and take notice and you were saying that it's it's when someone's saying something with the music, right? Even if it's like you said, you know, a bajillion fast notes in a ten second excerpt. If it makes you feel connected, right, in some way musically, it, it makes a difference. It stands out, right? And so, thinking about what you can do as a as a performer on stage in an audition setting, but even in the greater setting, you know, in all in all aspects in any kind of performance, chamber music, solo, you know, anything you're doing. Um, what can you be doing in the preparation to be able to share your artistry with others? And I think a trap, we mentioned this a little earlier on too, but a trap we fall into all too often is that we have to just play it right 
first and then maybe if i have time at the end i'll add a little bit of the other stuff the bonus you know the musicality and the the feeling and all that nonsense right that's not on the page right we have to do what's on the page and so the i i think it's so crucial that that everything we've been talking about today is that it starts from the very very first run the very first time you look at an excerpt or look at a solo that you're working towards for a performance audition or whatever it might be is that from that moment it's how am i going to you know get emotion into this how am i going to be an artist with this music rather than just you know attempting to be a perfect technician i had a, a teacher that would tell me that if your only goal is to hit all the right notes then if you miss a note, then it completely destroys your performance. Because like, if that's your only goal, that's a pretty low goal, right? If you have right. a goals above all that, you're, right, you're going to play the right notes. You just kind of assume, I'm going to play all the right notes because I've done all the work. But my real goals are much higher. Then, you know, if you clip a little bit of a note or anything, the, I think the listeners are a lot more um, accepting because they're so engaged with what you're saying musically and, and artistically. I totally agree. And one of the things that I think is important is when you're looking at a piece of music, you know, it's important to make those sort of artistic decisions before you even start playing, because so many technical uh, choices that we make affect the artistic outcome. So for instance, if I say, I really want this to sound like a certain way, then I, I need to have that sound in my my ear before I even play it, rather than just playing it and accepting, oh, that's it, maybe I need to fix it. So we can kind of like exactly what you said, if we have an idea, if we have a vision, whether it's a sound or the way I wanna play that particular note, I know how I want that to sound, how am I gonna get there? Then, then we can make technical choices that will actually help us as opposed to kind of working it, you know, maybe this is how it's supposed to sound as you are working out the notes. It's sort of like the idea of working from the top down as opposed to like trying to crawl up the, the mountain without really knowing where you're going. Right. Yeah, it, it's great. Um, you know, one of the other things um, that we kind of talked about a little bit is, is um, your specific uh, program. I wanted to just get to that a little bit more. Um, sure. So would you like to just tell us a little bit about how that program works and, and the way that you are working with your clients in that world? Sure. So uh, just a little bit of background. When the pandemic hit and everything you know, shut down, I uh, got interested in this idea of online teaching. Uh, I teach at Occidental and suddenly we all had to start figuring out how to use Zoom. But in fact, it became a wonderful opportunity to connect with, with people all over the world. And uh, I started this idea of doing an audition course specifically for cellists because, of course, I play the cello. You know, I understand the excerpts and stuff. And um, so I've, I've run a couple of different programs. Um, and the one that I'm doing now is uh, my fourth one. And basically what it is, it's a 16 week program and we meet twice a week for two hours. And in that program, you know, we go, we cover all what I call the five pillars, which is organization, technical, mental, artistic, and physical. So these are all the aspects you need to kind of have in order, actually not kind of, but you really need to have in order, I think in order to give your very best performance performance at an audition are actually a performance. Um, and so during the, this, these 16 weeks, you know, we get together, I give these trainings on the different topics. Um, and then the second half of the week are what we call workshops. So people can bring in like excerpts or sometimes we'll talk about in more detail some of the concepts I brought up. Um, one of my favorite parts of the program is I bring in a lot of guest artists. Um, 
Uh, this, this upcoming uh, program that I have, which starts in November, I have uh, Carter Bray, who is the principal cellist of the New York Philharmonic, Bob DeMaine, who is the principal cellist of the Los Angeles Philharmonic. In previous programs, I've also had Blaise Desjardins, who's the principal cellist of the Boston Symphony, Mark Hassauer, who is the principal cellist of the Cleveland Orchestra, wow. and Britton Smith, who's principal of the Houston Symphony, has helped me out. Brant Taylor, wonderful cellist from the Chicago Symphony. So, I mean, this is great for me because I get to also hear what these fantastic cellists have to say. And of course, it's really, I think, so important for uh, my clients to hear from, you know, major symphony orchestral principal cellists to say, what are they looking for? What are they listening for? And I'm very happy to say that we're all listening for the same thing. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm sure. I have no doubt. Yeah. So that's a big part of it. I also have... Um, this wonderful professor from Indiana University, Frank Diaz, who has uh, developed a whole course of wellness and mindfulness with performance. And he takes people through different uh, aspects of mental, uh, the mental aspect also of performance, which I think is really so interesting and so important. So I talk about it too, but Frank is sort of the, the obvious excerpt, uh, expert. Um, and then, you know, I. I do my best to uh, like throw my clients off kilter because I think that's a really important part in developing flexibility. So I throw them unexpected curveballs, which I don't think they really like at the time, but <laughs> I have heard back later that it's very helpful yeah. because, you know, we want to be, like I said earlier, very flexible and be ready for anything that's coming for us. And that gets us more prepared than sitting in your practice room for three hours a day, going over the same stuff over and over. So we, we cover all these topics. Uh, the other really important part of the course is community, you know, and having people of, who are also going through the same thing. You know, my clients spend time with each other on Zoom, you know, they play for each other, all sorts of fun things that I think really creates an atmosphere that makes it um, supportive and encouraging, you know, and you exchange a lot of knowledge. So I think all those aspects of the program and any really any other sort of audition preparation program, those are the things that are really helpful that when you're out on your own, just playing excerpts, you may not realize that this is the way you really need to prepare. It is a full, you know, what I call it, I call it the 360 method because it comes from all sides. You know, we talk about how to take care of your body. You know, if you're gonna be practicing that hard, you know, don't hurt yourself, good nutrition, things like that. So yeah. that's sort of the, the program. Yeah, that's that's great. The um, the emphasis of, of a 360 approach, I really love that image because it's so crucial um you know part of part of why i got so interested in mindfulness in general in terms of mindfulness and music and the mental well-being well mental well-being of performers is that it's really easy as we've been talking about here today too that it's so easy to get really myopic and be stuck you know in a little room all day long just hammering away and then thinking that that's okay that that's enough and then um you kind of you know, ignore all the other aspects of yourself as a human being. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we just, we're just working on scales and arpeggios and getting them faster and faster and cleaner and cleaner. And then, um, but we don't eat and we don't sleep <laughs> and we don't have any hobbies and we don't have any free time and any enjoyment and any, you know, fulfilling relationships and all those other things that make, make music what it really is, is everything else around all those, the, the time spent in the practice room. So. 
That's true. And I, I really want to encourage people to not burn out because if you're going to have a life in this career, the music career, music profession, it's going to be a long one, you know, and to know that at every point you will become a better musician. And if you continue to work, but you, you don't want to like be so, like you said, myopic that you wear yourself out and begin to dislike what it is you do. So when I was a student, I'd always say, yes, I know I should be practicing, but I, I really want to go for a run instead. <laughs> you know? yeah. Or I, I really want to, you know, read that book or, you know, take this other class. And honestly, the more well-rounded of an education you have, remember that we as musicians want to connect with the world. Our emotions, our experiences, that's what we do is we're here to just, you know, to, to have other people understand the human experience through music. And if we don't have any experience other than sitting in a practice room, you're not going to have very much to say. So, you know, I've had clients who go, I can't do it anymore. I can't, I just, I can't practice. I'll say, stop practicing, go, go take the day off, go have some fun with your friends, just put it away. And we need to have those built-in sort of exit route, exit ramps, you know, even if it's for a day or a few days, so you can set reset and, and get yourself back to, you know, being able to work, you know, productively and in a way that will further your artistic ambitions and abilities, as opposed to feeling like, I gotta get that in tune. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. I, um, I have a very, you know, flexible perspective on, you know, time off and things like that. And sometimes I'll go several weeks without a day off if something really big is coming up, you know, you're just working really hard and that's okay. But then when that thing is done, if I have some time, maybe I, I don't practice for three or four or five days, you know, even a week or whatever, every once in a while yeah. is, is okay. And I think that it's important to remember that it's okay to take some time off. Like all of your musical training over years and years of your life is not going to leave you the second that you don't practice for 48 hours, you know, like, Absolutely. it's going to be fine. <laughs> right. So, so there's a lot of, you have to have a lot of self-trust and know yeah. that, yes, I have put in the time. It's not going to disappear. Yeah, absolutely. Trust is such an important part of what we do. So yes, it's true. Um, Gloria, I've, I've loved our conversation. I'm sure there's lots of people that are interested in kind of reaching out or just seeing more about what you do and following along with your program and, and seeing what you've got going on. So what are the best ways for people to stay connected with you or to reach out? Well, my company is called Audition Confidential and you can find me online at www.auditionconfidential. I'm also on Instagram under Audition Confidential. I'm, I do some Facebook also. Um, I have a couple of groups and uh, a page, Audition Confidential again, or you can just sort of uh, reach out to me personally. Um, yeah, so those are the different ways that you can get in touch with me. Great. Um, thank you again so much for your time. Uh, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. I really, I really appreciate it. Thank you, Kevin. Another huge thank you to Gloria for joining me today, and thank you all so much for listening. You can keep up to date on all new podcast releases and other exciting news by following me on Instagram at MindfulMusicalLife or by visiting the website MindfulMusicalLife.com. If you have a suggestion for a future topic or guest, please reach out. I'd love to hear your ideas. Remember, anyone who might be interested in mindfulness coaching can reach out via Instagram or my website to schedule a free 30-minute consultation. And lastly, if you like the podcast, please take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you again for listening and see you next time.